Welcome to Top Stories, in which the Bugle delves into its own archive to find out what the big stories were in the world over the past 15 years. Well, as we speak now in 2022, Britain has another new Prime Minister, uh, Rishi Sunak. He has, well, let's say a reasonable chance of lasting more than Liz Truss's heroic 44 days. But what happens when the number 44 is actually a positive number for an incoming leader? Well, let's go back to the inauguration of... American President Number 44, Barack Obama, from Bugle Issue 60, entitled Goodbye George Bush and Hello Barack Obama. Here I am with John Oliver. Well, Andy, America is about to swear in its 44th president. By the time this bugle goes out, it will be a matter of hours until the most historic day in the history of America goes down in history books for the rest of... um, Ah, what's the word? Uh, Time. That's it for the rest of time. Are people getting carried away here, Andy? Yes. Are they setting themselves up for inevitable disappointment? Yes. Are they aware of that quite yet? Absolutely not. Now, as we were talking last week, the inauguration itself has taken a great deal of planning, but that pales into insignificance when placed to the actual transition of power. Uh, Obama's transition team will have been working solidly for over six weeks since the election to make the change as seamless as possible. And it can't have been easy with this particular administration. It's like exchanging the baton in a sprint relay race. You don't want anything to go wrong, but it's especially difficult when the person who's supposed to be handing it over to you is veering all over the place, (laughs) running out of his lane, looking like he's going to drop it as he comes to the end of two of the worst run legs in presidential relay metaphor history. Are they going to make him piss in a bottle, John? (laughs) I do hope so. Traditionally, there have also been practical jokes played on the incoming administration. Clinton's outgoing transition team famously took all the W's off the White House computer keyboards. But, to give them credit, the Bush administration got their own back by destroying the country over the following eight years. (laughs) Who's laughing now, President 42? I guess Bush's parting prank for Obama is, uh, I don't know, the Middle East. The $10 trillion debt? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a few really good ones. (laughs) If anything, he's taken this tradition a little too seriously. So that's it. This is, of course, the last ever bugle in history to take place during a George W. Bush presidency. Or at least, well, let's not get over-optimistic about this. It's the last for at least four years to take place without a Bush in the White House. So nine years late, the 21st century can at last begin properly. But I'm disappointed, John, as if Bush hasn't done enough damage to the world uh, for one presidency. With just days left in office, my daughter has contracted chickenpox. <laughs> and I blame George W. Bush for this. I mean, it was all going fine, and then you think, oh, well, she's probably going to get away with it. And then all of a sudden, scratchy, scratchy, I blame Bush. It's just, it sickens me. I mean, do you have any actual intelligence there, Andy, linking Bush to... Well, we had the television on the other day and the the news was on and they had a little uh, snippet from Bush's parting press conference the other day and two days later my daughter came out in uh, spots. Well, that's the smoking gun. That's right. That's more than we had going into Iraq. Yeah. Bush has been going on a press offensive this week to try and shape his legacy, appearing with Britt Hume on Fox News, Sean Hannity on Fox News, and with Larry King on CNN. I imagine Fox were very hurt about that last one. Apparently, in a tearful confrontation, Bush said that it meant nothing and that he was thinking about Fox the whole time he was with CNN. But Fox responded by screaming, Oh, I don't want to hear all the sordid details, and apparently ran out of the room to throw up. 
In his final press conference, Bush showed the calculated and selective remorse that he's been road testing for the last couple of weeks. Uh, he admitted that standing under a banner saying mission accomplished was a mistake, which is like apologising for spelling someone's name wrong on the birthday cake you made them out of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did he not say in this press conference, use the words, we've had fun, which... I guess maybe he has a slightly different attitude towards fun than me. Uh, for me, fun is seeing how many oranges I can cram into a single small plastic bag <laughs> or maybe seeing how people react when I offer them 20 quid for their dog or perhaps even dressing up like a hippo and pretending to ski down the stairs. <laughs> but for others like George W. Bush, evidently fun is presiding over the most divisive presidency in history, engendering resentment across the globe and overseeing the descent into economic annihilation. Yeah, we're all different, John, and I guess that's what George W. Bush has proven over these last eight years. Well, conversely, Obama's initial press conferences uh, so far have had a strange atmosphere to them. He's answered questions, addressed journalists by their names politely and calmly, and has been forthcoming with policy issues. And the press corps, in turn, have just looked stunned. It, <laughs> it's like they've developed Stockholm Syndrome. They're just not used to someone talking to them like that. I'm not even convinced they actually like it. Bush's press conferences over the past two years have been a relentlessly vapid kabuki, presenting the illusion of information being conveyed. He's even become famous for calling journalists by nicknames in a pseudo-friendly gesture of complete professional contempt. <laughs> I'm no great fan of the American press, Andy. I don't have posters of any of them up on my wall, and I own very few of their albums. But let's spare a thought for what they've been going through, because for eight years they've been treated like slightly irritating circus animals doing tricks for kibble standing on their hind legs to make their bored ringmaster proud. You've got to wean them off this ill-treatment gradually. It's like coming up from a deep-sea diving expedition. If you come up too quickly, you get the bends. <laughs> so, to help them with this transition, Obama's going to have to force himself to make glib comments based on their physical appearance. They can't just go cold turkey. It's too much of a shock to the system. Can he not just sort of wean them onto one kind of standard, generalised nickname for them all, like... Sugar cakes or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, he's got to do something because this is not an easy time for the press. No, and he's got to do it quickly as well, or, you know, the bubble of optimism will burst pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult for them to now have to make some pretense of actually doing their job. <laughs> In fact, the White House has also released a 41 page document, which you can get from the White House website, entitled 100 Things Americans Might Not Know About the Bush Administration. Now, <laughs> Number one was keeping America safe since 9-11, but there are also uh, other beautiful tidbits, such as laid the foundation for a future Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement. Now, that is ballsy. Preemptively <laughs> taking credit for any future peace which may break out over the next thousand years. He is preemptively sticking his flag in it. <laughs> And another one was stood on principle, refused to put off tough decisions and showed the way ahead. And no, that is absolutely true, Andy. No one could accuse him of not making decisions incredibly and some might say irresponsibly fast. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, in response, America has released an 800 page document entitled 100 Things the Bush Administration May Not Know About What America Thinks of Them, which they really should know. It's not like America has been coy about it, but maybe the Bush administration wasn't listening or something, so anyway, America is happy to remind them. <laughs> Bush uh, also said that he, uh, he feels blessed to have led uh, America, and sadly, according to the polls, that feeling is not entirely mutual. Uh, in fact, it's about as mutual as the relationship between a hungry lion and a plump baby zebra. Um, which the Lion then called a press conference saying, I'm delighted to have met little Stripey and it's been a great privilege to have worked with him and uh, <laughs> I hope and assume that Stripey feels the same. Stripey, oh, you've gone quiet. You couldn't shut up five minutes ago, squealing and whinging.
<laughs> he gave a 15-minute TV address, John, didn't yeah. he? Which, uh, I did some calculations. I reckon that was enough to say, oops, sorry, about 700 times. Is that what he did? Uh, no, it wasn't what he did. I mean, it was, it was his farewell address, which goes back to George Washington, who wrote a letter to the American people, uh, which was then published in the newspaper. And, and Bush instead stood and looked slightly sad. And you know, here's the thing. I'm almost feeling sorry for him now. He just looks beaten. It's like that fight between Lennox Lewis and Oliver McCall when McCall started crying during the fourth and fifth rounds and Lewis just couldn't bring himself to hit him anymore. Eventually, the fight was stopped. There were points during his press conferences and, and his farewell speech. He just wanted Cheney to throw a white towel at him, get him to spit out his gum shield and get a doctor to check him for brain damage. Well, I think, John... On that analogy, if he'd travel around the world, I think you'd find there's quite a lot of Lennox Lewises who would be quite keen to carry on punching him. <laughs> Thank you for listening, Buglers. Part two of the coverage of the inauguration of Obama and what went down on the day is tomorrow's top story. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.